0: This is
1: alright, I got it Under wraps now
0: Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Work can be uncertain. What should you do when the next steps are unclear? Our guest today on Conflict Managed, Dr. Keith Carver, advises when you don't know what to do, do no harm until you know what to do. Keith Carver became the 11th Chancellor of the University of Tennessee at Martin in 2017. Prior to his position with the UT System, Keith held various positions on the UT campuses in Knoxville, Martin, and Memphis. Listen in on my conversation with Dr. Carver as he talks about the anatomy of an excellent team, the benefits of listening to those around you, the value of having a mentor and being a good mentee, how to address mistakes and crises at work, and the importance of addressing workplace mental health and well-being. Welcome, Keith, to Conflict Managed. We're so glad to have you here today.
1: Mary, thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, we're just going to get right to it. So, I want to start by asking you if you could tell us one of your best experiences in the workplace. It could be with an organization, another peer, a boss.
1: Sure. You know, I, I think Mary, in, in thinking back in um, my my five and a half years at UT Martin, I think one of the that my the best stories I have for that is is when I came to UT Martin and when you think back to that time in, in 2016 2017 we've just gone through a, a really horrible accreditation scare uh, there was a seven years of, of consecutive enrollment decline a fundraising was down uh, morale was was uh, was was really. Difficult. It was a it was a tough climate on campus, and and I think uh, being a first time chancellor, being 46 years old, and coming in this role, I think I knew that I didn't have answers to any of those things. But I, I thought that we had the the collective wisdom already here on campus to tackle those things. And so, I think the biggest thing I learned from that experience is I came in. Um, with with a little bit of dread about how are we going to address all these different issues, uh, so I knew I was going to need help. But what I what I didn't realize is uh, being able to harness and and putting the right people on the right projects and and then supporting them and affirming the work they were doing. Uh, it was so wonderful to watch uh, the accreditation issues go away, to watch uh, get our, our fundraising better, and and have a, a few record years. Uh, to, to actually having three years of enrollment growth pre-COVID, we we all have been struggling since COVID. But um, but realizing that uh, as a leader, you don't have the answers. You don't have all the answers. You have some. But but what you've got to do is 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 know how to build great teams and and hire people that have strengths different than yours that can address the problems. Uh, But that if the organization is succeeding, that's that's what's most important. It's not about looking good or looking like you have all the answers, but building a really good team and letting them do their work.
0: You know, I think that's really interesting. A lot of times when we enter a new job, whether it's as the leader of the organization or you're just, you know, a first job, we can have a sense of dread and being overwhelmed. Uh, We don't know what we don't know. We've been hired because we have a, a certain set of skills but the idea of coming in and being open and learning from who's already there, right? Knowing that you don't have to be an expert in everything, which is unrealistic. In fact, somebody, uh, a CEO just told me that the other day, um, you don't have to be an expert in everything. If we have people in different positions and it's you, knowing what you know, and then empowering and f- others and finding people to be experts in their own areas.
1: You know, I think, Mary, what you've said really brings on another thought. You're exactly right. And I think leaders are so worried about being seen as a poser or, 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 you know, or they don't deserve to be in that position if they show that, hey, I've got these blind spots or I've got these spots where I'm not the expert. And let's, let's come together and talk about it and come up with a, with a great solution together. And, um, you know, people were just so fearful of that. And I think that's, that's the one thing that we've got to realize is, um, you know, problems are, are best solved working together and you've got to be a little transparent and, and, and show that, you know, there are some areas where you have deficits, but if you're hiring the right team, You've got people on that team that are, that are going to have a strength in that area where you have a deficit. So I think building the team is the most, I think it's the greatest thing a leader can do. I'm setting the culture, setting the temperature for the culture, but then building a great team.
0: Yeah, to execute the plan, right? Yeah. The plan that comes together with everybody there, with their knowledge, their expertise, their background. Um, but helping to bring that about and empowering the people to do their jobs.
1: That's exactly right.
0: So when you hire and you're looking to fill roles, what specifically, what kind of qualities are you looking for after they have the hard skills? So the accountant can do accounting.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I really look in the interview process and I, I'll, I'll have my own interview with them, but I really love to watch um, you know, most, most everybody that's that I'm hiring sort of a senior-level position, so I usually ask them to do um, almost in a town hall format uh, to present on a topic, and then do Q&A. And while I'm I'm always thrilled with the um, with with what they're speaking on and seeing that they're a content expert, we know they're a content expert, or otherwise they wouldn't be qualified to to come and interview. But I love seeing how they interact with us. And how they handle questions and do they get defensive or are they paying attention or are they listening to the question or are they just responding with some sort of pre-thought answer they they want to make sure they get across. So I really look for that. I don't know, Mary, if that's really a soft skill, but but really how they interact with others in the room during presentation Q&A, because that gives you a really good indication of how they're going to work with your faculty, staff, and students on campus. So, I really love to see the, the human side of, of their personality.
0: Yeah, I would call that a soft skill. I mean, you know, the hard skill of, you know, being able to do whatever sp- the specifics of the job, but this idea of, especially in the C-suite, it's so much of collaboration and listening and setting, as you set the agenda, and then executing the agenda, this ability to listen and be present, right? As you said, it's one thing to deliver a speech that you've come up with. It's another thing to really listen and be able to collaborate and to incorporate what the other person is saying or their concerns with what you have.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, in those, those Q&A, I'm amazed at how many times that people and, and one question you might understand but three or four questions in a row they don't really answer the question they just um they may restate the question and then answer something that's a tangent or but they don't get to the heart of it and you're thinking okay are they really listening to or do they have just another point they want to get across and so i think you can tell a lot from those um a great deal about some of those situations
0: Yeah, I think that you're right. I mean, how do we deal with, we were just talking about this. How do you deal with not being an expert in every single thing, right? And we aren't, right? So how do you, with grace, say, I don't know, I'm going to get back to you, or that's a good question. I haven't thought about it. Or I'm not sure if this is answering, is this what you're looking for? But but being aware enough about what you know and what you don't, and then how do you fill the gap? What do you do with that when you don't understand? Uh, what's going on? Because a lot of times in our jobs we are thrown curveballs, and something comes up that's new, and maybe we're not prepared for it. And you know, like COVID, <laughs> not prepared for it. Uh, no, what do you do?
1: That's exactly right. And there's there's no playbook to those situations, right? And and you know, I, I, Mary, I think one of the one of the dumbest. Things I've done as chancellor is put out an email uh, when COVID was hitting and saying that, hey, guys, we're going to go virtual for two weeks. Let this thing die down and we'll come back. You know, Uh, how short sighted was that? Of course, I was joined, I think, by, um, you know, about about 999 other chancellors and campus CEOs who said the same thing on on March the 16th uh, to 2020. But in looking back though, getting through that situation where we didn't have a playbook, uh, it was so nice to have a faculty Senate president, Philip Smart, who said, Hey, um, you know, let me let me lead a group. Let's let's talk about how we're gonna respond to going remote and what we think we're gonna need to the fall, and then getting the right faculty and the right student health clinic staff and emergency management people and our communicators in a room and say, okay how are we going to open in the fall? How are we, how are we going to operate in the fall and spent all of May and June figuring that out? And um, that's a better plan than I could have ever come up with, with uh, going into a silo and just coming out, but just admitting folks, I don't know how we're going to do this, but we're going to figure it out. And um, just keeping that process going. But I think too, Mary, just knowing um, you've got to trust your gut on who are the right people uh, to work on that project. You know, we, we had about, four weeks to get our plan together for the fall and who are the people that are really going to roll up their sleeves and and participate in this and be willing to stick their neck out there knowing that the plan might not be exactly right once we started executing it and um, getting people that didn't have egos and it didn't always have to be right Um, and that was looking back that was a scary time but it was a fun time too
0: have any advice for graduating seniors? So they've um, gone through the university, they've graduated, they are on a job interview, or they're, you know, one month into their new job, and they run up across something that they are completely unprepared for. But what would you tell that student to do, former student?
1: You know, I I think my my word of advice would be, if you don't know what to do, do no harm until you do know what to do. And that's a great time to uh, find a trusted mentor or someone that, that you value and you trust. Um, ask, ask for you know, some advice. Um, if, if, if it's an issue at work and you've got a supervisor and you're a new employee, having the courage to go to your supervisor and say, hey, I'm faced with this. I know you guys are expecting me to execute this, but, but I've got some questions and could, could, you, could you clarify this uh rather than then go out and and make a mistake or go out half cocked um you know really when you don't know what to do do no harm until you do, know what to do. and so not making a quick decision and getting some some either advice from someone a mentor or someone in value or seeking clarification from those um those that uh, are supervising
0: yeah i would absolutely agree and you know The pandemic, of course, is an extreme example, and hopefully we will never have anything like that again in our lifetimes. Um, (laughs) Let's hope. But I think it's a good idea to plan now for the future. So if you don't have a mentor, you should have a mentor. When everything is going well, you should have a mentor, because tough times will come. That is the ebb and flow of life. It's the ebb and flow of work. You're on top of the mountain, and then a recession hits. Or you're on top of the mountain and you uh, love your job at Blockbuster, <laughs> but the uh, the market doesn't love you anymore, right?
1: Netflix comes in, right?
0: <laughs> right, that's right. Now Netflix, uh, I'm yeah. sure they're going to be just fine, um, right? So having a mentor in the good times or when you're just starting out so that you can ask for advice and talking to your manager, I think it's really important if you're uncertain of what's going on to before you have those conversations to do your homework and to be clear as to what you're not clear about. Because if you go to a manager for advice and they Google it, well, you could have Googled it. Or if they say, what specifically is the problem? And your answer is, I'm having a problem, right? And so I think a lot of our work lives are going to run smoother if we take time to stop and prepare for whatever conversation. Um, You know, I'm very interested in difficult conversations, Uh, but if you're new on the job and you don't know what to do, that is a difficult conversation maybe for you. And so taking that time to figure out what precisely do I know? What do I need help with? What is unclear? And what do I imagine is going to help me so that you can articulate that and then you can actually get the help um, and the direction that you're, you're looking for.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I think that um, I had, um, when I was, was 39, I had my first seat, I guess, at the cabinet level. I was, uh, they needed, um, they had a vice chancellor that left our campus in Memphis, our academic medical unit in Memphis, the, the Health Science Center for UT. I went down there to sit in as their interim vice chancellor for development alumni, and I had a chancellor that I was working for that you got about 15 minutes of his, of his day. And, and he, he had all these practice units and hospitals. He had a dental school to run, a pharmacy school to run, a medical school, a nursing school, uh, occupational and physical therapy. He was busy, he was really busy. And so when I got in with him, I had 15 minutes. And uh, I'm a talker. So, but I learned after my first meeting with him, when I got through two of the things I needed to talk with, him, my time was up to 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 have my elevator speech for each thing that I needed is help and uh, being able to articulate it in about 45 seconds um, what I needed. And and, and it works so well. And, and, and I use that now with my current boss, with the president of the of the UT system. I never um, even though we might have 30 minutes blocked, I want to be respectful of his time and and voice things in a concise way uh, that he feels like uh, I'm prepared and, and utilizing his time. And, you know, I think when we talk about mentors and um, I'm, I'm at the age, Mary, I hate to admit it in my fifties, but there are some people saying, Hey, could we get together once a month and have a cup of coffee and, and, uh, and just talk, and, and I'm happy to do that, and I've got two young professionals I do that for uh, each month. One's on the Martin campus, and one's in Knoxville, and we get together for Zoom coffee and for 30 minutes, and one of the things that they both do that I appreciate so much is that the day before, they will text or email me um, the, the two or three topics that they'd like to cover, and so I have time in that 24-hour period before we get together to have really given it some some thought uh, to, you know, really articulate something. I've given it some thought. I've, I've been able to sleep on it. And we talk, and it's a real productive use of time. And they're not frustrated because, you know, we've run out of time. We haven't covered what they wanted to talk about. Uh, but for me, it feels like, man, they've really thought about this and, and and they are real considerate of my time and and I really appreciate that so I I've I've, I've I've learned from people that I'm sort of mentoring right now that when I talk to my mentors um, that you know, I tell them ahead of time hey here are two things I'd really like to pick your brain and and then jump right into it and it, it's you know I think they appreciate it too so you can always an old dog I guess can learn new tricks I learned those <laughs> people i'm working with and and i really appreciate it. and i think that as a as a young professional when you're when you've got someone that agrees to mentor you i think the best thing we can do as, as young professionals is be courteous of their time and you know let them know how much we appreciate them but but make that time that they've carved out of their schedule their work day their time away from their families to be with you uh, to make it as productive as possible i think that's great
0: In the workplace, one thing that really helps us is having quality conversations. It's one thing to communicate um, just information back and forth, but a quality conversation. How do you bring that about? And it seems you just described it. I mean, that's at least one great avenue where the other person has a chance to first of all, you have spent that time reflecting, knowing precisely what you want to do. So you've honed it down. All the chatter in your brain has, you know, quieted it down to these are the specific things I would like to talk about. And the, uh, as you said, the other, you get to sleep on it, you get to think about it. And then the quality of that conversation is going to likely be so much richer than, hey, we're getting together, let's just chat. And, and that's fine. And that has its place at dinner parties, um, sure. but, but when we're trying to mentor and we're really trying to glean, and you said respect one another, and of course, when we feel respected, we reciprocate, right? And and that's what these connections are about.
1: No, absolutely. That's absolutely right. And just being considerate of, of people's time uh, is, is so important.
0: Yeah. Could you tell us about an experience you've had in your work life that was maybe less than optimal that? was negative we all have negative experiences um at work
1: i will and you know i I think it it came and i'm mary i'm kind of basing everything back to when i started this job but one of the the key pieces i had about uh my candidacy when i was being considered to be chancellor here is i'd never been chancellor before anywhere uh was was 46 and i was not a typical chancellor candidate in that I had not come out of the classroom. I had not been a tenured faculty member department, uh, had a chair, a provost, a dean, uh, but I was coming out of the administrative side, sort of fundraising, student affairs, government affairs, public policy. So uh, I knew I was going to have to have a really good provost to to be a part of the team. Well, the provost, as I was coming in, was retiring and going to the classroom, and so I needed to, to hire one. And immediately I I got on campus January 3rd, 2017 and said, I'm going to hire a provost. Here's my search committee. Let's go. And Mayor, we had awful campus. We had we had we had awful kids. Now, they were probably good people, but they weren't who we needed um, to to run this campus. And so I found a really good interim. I asked that interim to 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 do it for a year. Um, to let things settle down. Then we ran another search and it was successful. And Mary, and looking back at that, um, I was really naive. And, and so if you're a good provost candidate and you're an outsider and, and, and you're looking at UT Martin and I wasn't thinking about this, you're seeing, okay, wait a second. Those guys have just gotten off accreditation, probation. Um, they've had seven years of declining enrollment, fundraising's down. And, by the way, their leader is 46 years old, first time chancellor, okay? So if you're an outsider looking for a good spot, you're probably not looking at UT Martin because you right. uh, So if I would had to do it all over again, I would, I would have approached that same dean that I approached after the failed search, said, would you do this a year, uh, given the chance to, campus a chance to rest and get away from the probation issues, hopefully have a, a, a nice fall enrollment, turn around, uh, raise a little money, and then you go at the search like we did the second time, and it yielded a successful candidate. So I think sometimes we get in such a hurry to fix a perceived problem when really the solution is right in front of your nose, and that's let's, let's hit pause, have the search when we're, when we're a little healthier, and uh, that was a near mistake. If I had hired, and there were good people, but if I had hired one of those people, it probably wouldn't have yielded um, a, a good result, and um, so that was a almost a near catastrophic mistake that, that I would have made.
0: So how would you, what did you learn from that experience?
1: You know, I think I learned from the experience is better how to um, take the pulse of the organization. If, if I had started and if I had met with the existing cabinet and said you know what we've got this vacancy coming up what do you all think i need to do i think i need to search i think they would have said you know what keith you're brand new uh you've got no track record and nothing against you keith but but you've not been a chancellor before you know we've got some good powerful interim candidates here why don't you fill some of these other searches that aren't so critically important have a good interim there for a year. You'll get a better feel of what kind of candidate you want. And it'll let the world see that, Hey, we stayed off probation. Uh, fundraising's gotten a little better. Uh, you know, things have a, a little bit brighter outlook. Um, and, and these weren't merry things that, that, that I fixed, but things we were able to fix as a campus moving forward as a team. But we would have, went, you know, we had a, a different outlook. The next year and uh so but going through that failed search taught me you know um s- sometimes you just want to run out and let's fix it right now when you need to step back and and take the temperature of your organization get a better gauge on the culture of the organization and um search when the time drops
0: so that makes me think about you know when you are the leader of an organization sometimes what can happen is um you get surrounded by people who uh, want to tell you what you want to hear, um, that things are going well, that the problems have been solved, that everybody is happy and well-contented. This is what we want. Uh, of course, if anybody's being told that, it's false because every organization has issues, large and small. That's just the nature of organizations and people working together. Mm-hmm. So wh- what do you do to combat that, to combat the quote-unquote yes-men um, or not really being able to get the temperature? Of
1: the organization yeah it's, it's a it's a problem and i think a lot of times um, in your organizations you you see people who just want to avoid conflict they don't want to tell the boss bad news uh, then on the other hand you've got an antagonists who, who want to criticize everything so uh but but the worst thing that can happen is you get so isolated in in these jobs in these chairs That you don't have a pulse of what's going on because no one no one tells you um, the bad news or the reality of the situation. What I've tried to do here is that my first day on the job, I came in and said, look, guys, um, I'm excited about being here. There's obviously a lot I need to learn from you all. Um, I'm going to be with you and working with you and I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm not going to be personally involved with too. But the one thing I need from you all is if there's something I need to know, you've got to tell me, you've got to tell me the truth, because if you allow me to get out on a limb and that limb snaps, and you all knew that the limb was fragile. Uh, it's going to hurt, not just me, but it's going to hurt our institution and set us back further. And so I would much rather, I'll never be angry for you guys coming to tell me something beforehand, uh, or right when it's happening, than if I find out that that you all have um, not told me something, because you know you're 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 afraid or don't want to deliver bad news. Your job is to deliver bad news because we're we're all trying to make sure that this university's healthy. And and I've been really fortunate to hire people who will come and 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 tell me what I need to hear. Now, Mary, I like to think also that I'm the type of chancellor that uh, encourages that, fosters that. I've got uh, different times during the day where people can get to me. Uh, if they need to tell me something, but they can certainly call me at night, in the morning. Um, I talk to my direct reports a lot. And, and so they are really good about giving me a, a, a heads up about things. And um, I think you also have to realize, too, that a lot of times things are painful and maybe they represent uh, failures of, of a particular department or an office. And, and there's going to be a big blowback on the university but uh, if I know about it, you know, we can get out in front of it, make that apology, fix the problem before it becomes, and then confess the problem. Um, I've got, got kind of three, three mantras to, to dealing with, um, with, with crisis. That's uh, tell the truth, tell it all, and tell it fast. And, and, and so if we make mistakes, let's tell the truth, let's own it, let's, let's tell it all and let's tell it as fast as we can. um, and, 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 you know, admit fault when we, when we need to, but let's go out and get it, tell our own story. But I've tried to use that with our team and, and there's been plenty of time where we've stubbed our toe here, but we at least, um, try to own it and get out. But if people are unwilling, uh, to tell me the problems, you know, it gets us into bigger trouble.
0: Yeah. You know, a lot of times, um, People don't know how mistakes are going to be taken, like what's going to happen. And of course, we take our whole past with us wherever we go. So maybe when we were growing up, mistakes were, you know, not tolerated or tolerated in certain ways and other organizations that we've worked for. And insofar as an organization is hostile to mistakes and people make small and large mistakes, um, But insofar as, yeah, we try to, if we hide them, if we are punitive, if we don't treat people with grace or have a plan to get back on board, get back on track, then people are, of course, are less likely to admit their mistakes. And then they suffer, the organization suffers. Mm
1: -hmm. No, that's exactly right. And, and, you know, uh, the last thing we want to happen is our own pride or ego get in way of a breakthrough. And um, there's so many people that spend so much time and energy saying, you know what, this wasn't my fault. or We couldn't have done it better because of, of this circumstance or that circumstance rather than say, you know what, um, that, that we didn't, we didn't, we didn't execute well. And um, one thing I, we've learned from this is X, Y, Z. And when this happens again, Here's, here's what we'll do. And, uh, but I think people being willing to admit that you're human and make um, make mistakes and also you're willing to say that you're sorry, you know, I think it helps a lot. But but I, I don't want to surprise anyone on my team. And, and I ask that my team not surprise me. And so when things are boiling and, and it has a ability to, to, to explode, I want to know about it when it's boiling. Uh, And not when I um, get an email or have a reporter calling me uh, to ask me about something that I don't know anything about.
0: So as you think about the future of workplaces, and we think about, of course, we want our workplaces to treat everybody from the top to the seasonal higher with dignity and respect. But we want more than that, right? We want our organizations to help people thrive and be their brilliant selves. So what is your vision the future. If you think about, I mean, I know how much uh, you love our college students. Uh, I worked at UTM for 18 years and um, I, you know, I see on social media and just out in the community how much time you spend with the students on a regular basis. Um, It's clear you love them and you want good things for them. So when you think about their future, um, the future of the workforce, what is your vision for how to bring about healthy work environments?
1: You know, it's a, it's a fantastic question. And you know, I, I think for me, we have for generations uh, in higher ed that we, the collective we, higher education, we've, we've focused on, you know, creating these powerfully good creative thinkers, uh, people that can c- communicate themselves well, either through writing or, or through speech. Um, you know, transferability of soft skills. How do I, how do I take this book knowledge and, and work in a group um, of, of people in graduate school or medical school or, or back at the bank in my hometown and, and get this group project done and the, and the technical aspects of a degree, you know, how to, how to, how to dissect something and, and, and be able to teach uh, dissection of frogs to the next generation of, of, of high school science students. But one of the things that I think the pandemic has shown that, that I'm is probably my biggest fear now is uh, helping students be well-adjusted and, and have good physical and, and mental health wellness. And no matter how smart they are, how gifted they are, Uh, an incredible poet or an incredible uh, engineer or or an artist, uh, if they're not taking care of themselves or providing self-care, if we're not providing the services in our counseling center, if our faculty don't know where to tell that struggling student to go where they can get help, uh, those are the things I worry about now because I see how um, and not just our young people, but our faculty and staff, um, I, there's this need, there's these holes that we need to help our students, help our employees know where to get those holes filled. Where, where can I go get help for my broken heart? Where can I uh, go get help for uh, this competitive desire I have to make A's in every class? And, and I'm not, I'm making B's and, and uh, I've never not been the top student. Um, in my school and I'm struggling now, or you know what, I'm a cross-country runner and I'm having trouble balancing uh, the rigors of my academic scholarship versus the time I'm spending on practice and how do I find that that healthy balance, or I'm off at college and I'm homesick and I miss my grandmother and um, I'm not doing well because I'm, I'm, I'm not adjusting, I'm not getting out of my room, Um, But those are the things I worry about And are we providing students the optimal places to learn, uh, the optimal places to sleep, eat, get recreational activities, but also have those counseling and student support mechanisms on campus so that they can be complete and they can be healthy both physically as well as emotionally. And, um, you know, uh, telecounseling I think is so wonderful and I wish we had been doing this. Uh, prior to the pandemic but you know our students are showing us that while many of them won't physically get up and walk to the counseling center because they don't want to see they don't want people to see them walking into the counseling center right but they'll they'll keep a telecounseling session because they're, they're sitting in their room with their airpods on and they're able to talk with a licensed professional to and they can be real with that person, and so um, I wish there was a way we could do a, a check-in with every student that we have here. That's that's impossible, even though we we push out the services. But what I hope we're preparing for the workplace or uh, students to have great coping skills and can know when, when there's an issue in their life that they need um, addressing. I mean, I, I will I will tell you. Um, some of the darkest moments of my life, I was led through uh, by the help of a licensed professional, somebody that could sit and talk with me about uh, how to be a better dad, how to be a better husband, how to be a better worker, how to be more focused. And uh, tune-ups are so critically important, and um, you know, I encourage everyone to get them. So, man, that was a long-winded answer to say that you know, mental health, uh, wellness, Balance, those are such critical skills that we've got to start paying attention to on the college campus as folks move into adulthood.
0: Well, I I think you're so right. When I think about work environments, I'm very interested in the human centered work environment. And Mm -hmm. so when we think about a worker, so we've hired them to be an engineer, we've hired them to be a teacher, we've hired them to whatever it is that they're doing. But when we come to work, right, our whole self comes to work, humans come to work, this old idea of check your emotions at the door, we're just going to come in and do our job. And that's what you're here to do. Um, Well, this is inhuman, we're not a workforce of robots. And so insofar as we invest in um, developing our hard skills, so um, continuing education develop so that I'm on the cutting edge of being a computer programmer or whatever I am, but also those human skills, of socialization, of belonging. People stay in organizations when they feel genuinely cared for, which is time intensive. It's listening, but that is a huge part of mental health. Uh, Some jobs, if you're a nurse, it's going to be stressful uh, because of the nature of the job. So what can we do to come alongside in the work environment? And you're absolutely right. It's largely about mental health. And insofar as we don't pay attention to that, it's to our peril, the, the workforce and the individual.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. We almost, um, Mary, as you and I were, were coming up, coming out of college, getting ready for the way it was, it was, you know, I think workplaces were just concerned with what you know. What do you know? How can you help? And I think um, it, as they come to college, we've got to be concerned with their mental and physical health and well-being and teach balance. But in the workplace, certainly, as I look around at our faculty and staff, trying to figure out ways to help people feel good about what they're doing, they may not like their every part of their job, but do they feel like that when they're overwhelmed, or when when uh, they're frustrated, or when they're sad? you know, are there ways to help people uh, in those situations? And I think we've all got to figure out how to do that. And fortunately, UT, we get the power of the University of Tennessee system to kind of help us do some of those things. And sometimes it's just, um, you know, one of the, an online stress management course. And you're thinking, how will that help? Well, you know, um, as you walk through one of those things, you get some pretty good tips. And uh, But it's taking advantage of what the workplace offers you. But, but you have to offer those type of things and be right. thinking. About and some of my best ideas come from frustrated uh, faculty and staff, that say, <laughs> X. and I think, you know, that's a great idea. Let's do that. So,
0: yeah. Right. And I think as the person in charge of uh, your campus, what an opportunity to set the stage for not only the students, but of course the faculty and staff, such that it is human-centered, right? So having the policies in place that are for humans, not for litigators. Not that litigators aren't humans, but, you know, having the, you know, who is this written for? Is this written for another lawyer, this policy? Is it written for me when I'm having a problem, right? And there's so many fresh ways that we can approach our organizations continually as new issues come and new workforces come up to make it such that it encourages us all to thrive and be brilliant. And when the individual worker is on mission and um, encouraged to be their best selves, everybody wins.
1: That's exactly right. That is it. The, 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 the individual shines. Uh, the supervisor gets a, a, a very engaged employee uh, because they feel valued, and the organization thrives because everyone's performing their best.
0: Well, thank you so much, Keith, for your time and for sharing your wisdom with us. I wish you the best. Have a lovely day.
1: Thank you so much, May. Appreciate it. Look forward to to listening to future podcasts.
0: (laughs) Yes. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you to Keith Carver for sharing your experience and insight with us. If you'd like to get in touch with Dr. Carver, his email and social media information are in the show notes. If you have any questions that you would like our guests to answer or ideas for upcoming shows, please contact third-party workplace conflict restoration services at 3pconflictrestoration.com. Our music is by Dove Pilot, and Conflict Managed is produced by Third Party Workplace Conflict Restoration Services. Remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Till next time, take care.